There in Luke chapter 23, beginning in verses 32 through 43, let us now give our attention to the reading and hearing of God's word. And there were also two other malefactors led with Jesus to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superscription was written over him in the, letter of, of, in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do give thee thanks this morning for thy word. For it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask, O Lord, that thou wouldst be pleased to open our ears and open our hearts that we might behold wonderful things out of thy word. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are coming to the end of the life and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we have taken this journey through the Gospel of Luke, we've seen the wonderful power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen his mighty miracles. We've seen him testifying to the fact that he is called to be the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Savior of sinners. Jesus has over and over again told his disciples that Christ must suffer and die and be raised to life. The crowds had heard that. The religious leaders had heard that. 
And yet we come to the end of his earthly life here in this account of Jesus' death and crucifixion. And we find again the blindness and the unbelief of those who had seen him, walked with him. Those who witnessed his miracles, they turned a blind eye. And the question this morning is, as we have worked our way through here, and I trust that you're not just sitting here listening to words from from a man, but that you are thinking upon these and meditating upon these things and considering, who is this Christ? Because none of us were there. None of us saw his miracles except the apostles. And yet the question is asked, are we blind? We've been given a wonderful record here of all that Jesus did. And yet I think oftentimes we come to this passage blind to the truth that is recorded here in this passage of Scripture. But as we see here in this passage, there are two wonderful words that come from the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are seven words spoken from the cross. But all of those words are spoken in the other Gospels. There are only really three words spoken here in Luke's account, and we will look at two of those important words today. But as... The people had cried, give us Barabbas and crucify this man who calls himself the Christ. And so Pilate gave the people what they wanted. And Jesus was sentenced to death. He was led away. The scripture reminds us, Simon carried his cross, or Simeon carried his cross. And then we come to this passage before us. And verse 32 gives us this picture of two malefactors who were led with Christ to be put to death. Now we saw on that road to Calvary, Jesus' encounter with the crowds, Jesus' encounter particularly with the women. And now as he continues to make that final journey toward toward Calvary, it's called Calvary in Luke and Matthew and Mark, it's called Golgotha, which literally means the place of the skull. He's led to the place of the skull. Most likely some scholars think that it's a place where, where criminals were were put to death, it was a, a place where they were executed. And so, as he makes his way to the place called the skull, the text tells us that there are two malefactors with him. I want us to note here, particularly in Luke's account of the crucifixion and death of Christ, it doesn't have the detail that Matthew has. But I want us to see that Luke just simply gives us these truths that he was led away with two malefactors. It just gives us um, not a whole lot of detail. And I think it's important to understand that perhaps the, all of that detail is not given to us 
so that we might not be like what people are today, that they simply gaze at all of the detail. They gaze at all of the, the suffering that Christ went through. And even as, as some are inclined to follow what is called the stations of the cross, we are not drawn to the text to find details. We're not drawn to the text to find this, oh, poor Jesus, suffering and humiliated. But we're given this account so that we might see that this is our Savior, that this is our Redeemer, that this is the one who bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And we don't want to lose sight of that. Because if we understand the suffering that Christ went through, if we understand the cruelty of his death, we would see this is not an ordinary death. There are many cruel deaths throughout society. And history records many cruel deaths. This is not a common criminal's death. This is not an ordinary death. This is the death of an innocent man. This is the death of one who was rejected of men. Man who was acquainted with sorrow and grief, who bore every sin in his own body upon the tree. You think for a moment of all of your sins that Christ bore on the cross. He didn't just bear the sins of our past. But he bore the sins that we even entertain now. He bore the sins that we commit each day. He bore those sins that easily entangle us. But here, the malefactors are led away with him. And so they come to that place where he is to be crucified with them. And as we come here to this text... It says there in verses uh, 33 and 34, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, where they crucified him and the malefactors, one on his right and the other on his left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they not know, they know not what they do. Here's the word, of forgiveness that comes from the cross. Now there's two things that Jesus prays for here. And I think this is important to understand that as Jesus is on the cross, what is he doing? He doesn't have those random thoughts that we oftentimes have floating through our minds, but he is there on the cross having already been crucified. Praying to his Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here he has in mind those two malefactors that were crucified with him. Those two thieves, those two common criminals. And as he is praying that, the text says, they parted his raiments and cast lots. And so the scene is there. Jesus utters that word of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ is interceding there on behalf of his enemies, saying, Father, forgive them. 
And it says the people stood beholding. The rulers saw this and they derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ. And you see the great humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The great depth of his suffering as they mocked him. As they came and offered him vinegar to drink. As they put that subscription over the tree on which he was nailed. This is the king of the Jews. As we see this, we don't want to miss the fact that in this word of forgiveness, Christ intercedes for his enemies. I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 5, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of their way, for that he himself also is compassed by infirmity. Here we find that Jesus, as a compassionate high priest, has mercy on whom? Upon the ignorant, upon the blind, upon those who cannot see. There in that prayer, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. All of Adam's children, all of the human race is born blind, born deaf, cannot see, cannot understand. We are ignorant of the things of God, and even as Christians, sometimes we can be ignorant But notice Jesus prays to the Father, interceding for them, that he might have mercy, that he might have forgiveness on those who turned away from him, who rejected him. Here the Lord Jesus Christ shows the depth of his love. Jesus shows the depth of his mercy in interceding for his enemies. I think there's a tendency for us to think our sin is not so bad. When you look at his sin, and his sin, and her sin, and her sin. One writer wrote a wonderful book entitled Respectable Sins. In that book, he describes those respectable sins, gossip, backbiting, Harboring resentment, bitterness. Oh, those are respectable sins. Those are, those are sins we love. But Jesus suffered for the worst of sinners. Jesus suffered in his death that he might intercede and rescue those who were blind who were ignorant of his ways. 
One of the most essential qualifications in the discharge of the priesthood, according to Hebrews chapter 5, was a disposition for those who were ignorant and out of their way. To offer sacrifices, Hebrews chapter 9, for the sins of the people. And here our Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, showed himself on all occasions, but particularly in this instant, instance, that he is abundantly qualified for that office of a priest. And in that very hour, he offered himself a sacrifice for sin. He pleaded the cause of those who ignorantly crucified him as a malefactor. And so he's, he's not simply praying for these two malefactors, but he's praying for those who led him away, who crucified him. And here we find that oftentimes ignorance, blindness, Cause us to reject Christ. People do not reject Christ because they don't have evidence. People don't reject Christ because they haven't been convinced of what you tell them or what they read in Scripture. People reject Christ because of ignorance, because of blindness, because of unbelief. And there are instances when men have known the gospel. There are instances when people have heard the gospel and yet rejected it. They refuse to submit to it. And yet as we see the Lord Jesus Christ granting forgiveness to his enemies upon the cross, we see here that the rejection of Christ comes from an ignorance of his true character and nature. We've seen this throughout the Gospel of Luke. They didn't fully understand who he was. Even as he is nailed to that tree and they put above that tree upon which he was nailed, this is the king of the Jews, they had their own idea of what this Christ was to be. And it wasn't what they thought he should be. They didn't want some man who claimed to be a king who would come in and upset their system. And so they are often ignorant of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here we see the guilt of these two malefactors. Because as you go on in the text, verse 39, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on Jesus, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. And so we find here that the one malefactor, the one criminal, was railing against him, If thou be the Christ, and save us. In other words, save me. And yet here in our text, we find in the midst of all of this, 
the wonderful mercy and forgiveness of Christ. But we see a second word of assurance here in verse 43. As the text goes on, we find Jesus there. Verse 42, the one criminal looked unto him and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, unto thee this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Here's a word of assurance. If one lacks assurance, he needs to come to that place where he acknowledges his need for Christ. That's exactly what this one criminal did. In these words of assurance in verses 42 and 43, we find the petition of the thief. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Don't you see the acknowledgement of Christ in that? Don't you see his trust in the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ? Oftentimes people come to this text and they say, well, there's no doctrine of repentance here. The thief on the cross didn't repent. That's what people teach. That there is no need for repentance to come to Christ because the thief didn't repent. Ah, did he not? We see his repentance unto salvation in verse 40. When the one thief railed on Christ, the others answered him and rebuked him, saying, Does thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Here's the first sign of repentance in this man on the cross. Don't you see? That we are in the same condemnation that this, that we are called to fear God? Verse 41, he says, We indeed justly for what we receive the due reward of our deeds. We rightly deserve death for what we have done. But notice there, The third thing regarding the repentance of the thief is his confession of the innocence of Christ. This man hath done nothing amiss. Didn't Pilate say that? Three occasions, Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. But what was the difference between Pilate and between this common criminal? Pilate only acknowledged that there was nothing on which he could charge Christ. But here, in this man's confession of Christ's innocence, he realizes this is not a criminal. This is an innocent man. All of our guilt, all of our sin is cast upon an innocent man. If we look to a human priest for the forgiveness of our sins, it will never happen. 
But we can look to this priest because he is innocent of all guilt. He is innocent of all violation of God's law in every little detail. Christ did not reach perfection. Christ did not come to a place of perfect obedience. Christ was innocent. Born of a woman, born under the law, but born to redeem sinners because his innocence is required for our guilt. But notice a fourth thing regarding the repentance of this man in verse 42. Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He acknowledges his faith. He acknowledges him as Lord. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Notice he simply places his faith and his trust in Christ. But notice here in verse 43, Jesus tells him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, to this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. This was not just some extraordinary thing. This was not just something out of the ordinary that was put in the text. Jesus granted forgiveness to one malefactor. The other, he didn't grant it. And yet, in this response of the Lord Jesus Christ, he granted his petition. Today, you will be with me in paradise. He pardoned him and granted him all mercy. And as Jesus is hanging there ready to die, this man is not arguing with Christ. Well, you know, I'm not sure why we're here. You know, I just perhaps maybe took another man's coin that wasn't rightfully mine. I'm really not that bad. But you notice here, he states, we are under the same condemnation. We deserve what we get. This man is innocent. Oh, we find here in this passage that the Lord Jesus Christ gives that word of assurance. He gives that word of salvation. And oftentimes we can ignore that word and say, well, you know, I'm waiting. Kind of like the king that Paul testified to there in Acts. I'm just waiting for a more convenient day. I'm waiting for a day when I can make sure that I understand what it is to follow Christ. I'm waiting for that day when I, when I have some experience that I really know Christ. And yet this man on the, cry, on the cross simply put his trust in this innocent victim. And that's the only place we can place our trust. Don't ever tra place your trust in a pastor. Don't ever place your trust in elders or deacons. Don't 
place your trust in any man, but place your trust in Christ. For He is beyond fault. He is the innocent one who grants salvation and assurance to those who look to Him for mercy. This word spoken to the dying thief, how amazing it is. We understand those words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. But is this amazing? Is it truly amazing? People sing it at funerals. Do they understand how amazing it is? Because if we understand how amazing His grace is, then it would cause us to do as the thief did. Acknowledge the innocence of Christ who stands in our place. That's the great doctrine of justification. That we are justified by what? The perfect righteousness of Christ alone. In a day when even some who call themselves reformed deny the act of obedience of Christ, how can you place your trust in one who you don't even acknowledge was obedient in all of his life? And yet we can place our trust in Christ because he is the only perfect man who came to bear the sins of many. Oh, in this wonderful scene upon the cross, we see the Lord Jesus Christ taking guilt upon himself for sinners. We see the Lord Jesus Christ taking our guilt so that we might go free. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Christ came that we might be rescued from the power of Satan, that we might be delivered out of darkness, that we might be delivered from our ignorance and our unbelief. And yet the wonderful love of Christ in urging this plea on behalf of his murderers, something that we must consider. His conduct toward his murderers Wonderful love that he displayed and how he calls this man to, re to repentance. He called this man to faith. The Lord Jesus Christ had mercy upon him. That man hanging on the cross could not come to understand the depth of his sin because of his blindness, because of his ignorance. And yet God in his mercy granted sight. God in his mercy granted understanding unto him. But as we consider this passage this morning, I think it's important for us to understand how earnest we should be in seeking knowledge. Some might come to the conclusion that if ignorance is an extenuation of guilt, it would be safer to remain ignorant. 
But don't be mistaken and foolish. It is not willful ignorance that is in view here. But the ignorance which is unavoidable. The ignorance that man, because of his nature, born in sin, dead in sin in his trespasses. He is under guilt. He is under condemnation. And yet in order to find life, we must seek knowledge just as this thief did on the cross. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Ignorance is the sure thing to keep us from Christ and to bring us unto condemnation. It is a poor consolation for a soul under the judgment of God. This guilt was not most of all aggravated. But we need knowledge that we might come to an understanding of this Christ. We need to, to place our confidence and our trust in him. But saints, what encouragement do we find here in this word upon the cross? Oh, this is encouragement for me. Wait a minute. Pastor? Yes, encouragement to me to pray continually for mercy. Never were more atrocious sinners on the face of the earth than those for whom Christ prayed. Nor was any prayer ever more singly answered than that which is offered here. Thousands of thousands of people have often been forgiven and adopted into the family of God because they turned to Christ for mercy. Who among us needs dis despair of mercy? If Christ interceded for persons in this very act, of him dying. If Christ interceded for a thief, will he not more intercede for you? What words of exhortation to sinners, perhaps those who are waiting for some convenient day, well, I'm not sure if I have enough knowledge or understanding to become a Christian. But perhaps there are some sitting here who are believers who find themselves in despair. Sinner, there is no need for despair. There's no need for a spirit of gloom and hopelessness. However long you have sinned, However heinous your sin has been, there's no need to despair. Because if you look to the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, all is forgiven. All is taken away. I want to emphasize one other thing in conclusion. 
as we think about these two words of Christ from the cross. We need to, to seek the right knowledge, not just knowledge, not just every detail, but knowledge to show us how we might find life in Christ. But we find the encouragement, as I've said, for mercy. That Christ never turns us away when we come to Him. But what obligation is there for us as Christians to forgive one another? I think at the time when we come to the Lord's table, that should be foremost in our minds. Some days we can say things unintentionally to someone. And we might think, well, what is his attitude? What is his problem? Perhaps we've injured someone. Perhaps we have aggravated someone. But Jesus Christ died that he might save us from sin. Jesus Christ died that he might take away our guilt. Jesus Christ died. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the cross of Christ calls us. It calls us to have a spirit of forgiveness one to another. Even toward those who have committed heinous sin, even toward those who may have said things in anger or perhaps did things, we need to have a spirit of humility and a spirit of forgiveness. And I think for the most part, as a congregation, we have exhibited that in many ways. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a hospital. We're sinners continually in need of God's mercy. And what better way to show the mercy of Christ in our tenderness and our forgiveness one to another. Jesus commands us, love even our enemies. Bless those who curse us. Do good to those who hate us. And what? Pray for those who despitefully use us and persecute us. Jesus did that beyond perfection, if there is such a thing. Jesus did that impeccably. And yet if he's redeemed us from all of our guilt, he's forgiven us, how can we not forgive one another? How can we not show kindness and charity? Perhaps you've been guilty of this, but I must confess there are times I've been guilty of this. I know that person's got a problem. I know he's upset with me. And we violate the ninth commandment in thinking and harboring that thought that maybe someone's upset with me. And yet the gospel calls us to love one another, to show humility and charity. But as we come to the end of our passage, O oh, saints of God, let us see afresh the mercy of Christ. Let us see his humiliation. Let us see the humility and the compassion of Christ. Because this is your Christ 
who shows you humility, who shows you compassion and mercy. Therefore, let us go and show mercy and compassion one to another. Perhaps this morning you feel like you're in despair. Don't leave here today without knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ receives us and grants us hope even when we feel under despair. Don't leave here today not seeing afresh the Lord Jesus as our Savior, as our Redeemer, who took all of our vile sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. If you do not know this Christ, if you have not placed your faith and trust in him, and you've been sitting under the preaching of the word, why do you delay? Call upon the Lord while he may be found. Put your trust and your confidence in this one who gave his life as a ransom for many. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we can never fully express the gratitude of our hearts for thy mercies. You have taken all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt upon yourself and have given us thy perfect righteousness. Lord our God, we do pray that we might go forth today with renewed strength, that we might go forth with renewed power, that we might go forth with, with renewed hope. But this is our Savior. We can put our trust and our confidence in Him. O oh Lord our God, bless this word to our souls, and may we find in Christ Jesus life. We pray in His name. Amen. <clears throat>